Good morning to everybody. Uh, this is not my first time here at Carrie Alliance Church. I think it was about 12 years ago that I came through. That was back when we did missionary conference from church to church, and things have changed now. But uh, I, I, I just uh, love uh, a fellowship like this and all of you, and I just want to thank you so much for your years. I know for years uh, that you have supported Alliance Missions, and we can only do the work that we do around the world. As uh, people like you are, are giving and praying, many of you, some of you are, have perhaps made mission trips or have served at times in your life uh, in international missions. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for, uh, because I know that this church is a, a missionary church. And uh, I just thank you again, thank the pastor and all of you for the invitation, having us back, uh, being with you. Um, just be, just. Before I say anything more, I just want to let you know we do have some prayer, uh, prayer cards. They're on a little table outside there. Uh, there's an empty a blank sheet of paper. And if you'd like to receive information from us regularly about what we are doing, uh, just take one of those. Uh, you can also just sign your name with a, an address, a, an, an email address. And uh, we'll, be, we'll put you on the list of people that will be receiving uh, what God has been doing in and through us uh, all throughout uh, South America, especially. And uh, yeah, we have been uh, around the world. Uh, between my wife and I, I think we count over 120 years of missions with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, my wife grew up as a MK, or we call them TCKs now, third culture kids, uh, in South America and Peru, and I in Africa, in the Cote d'Ivoire or uh, in Ivory Coast. And uh, then we served uh, f 15 years in the Democratic Republic of Guinea, and now all through South America. No one particular country, in particular, but uh, we, uh, actually the whole continent, if you can imagine, is uh, our, our field of interest. Uh, it's interesting, my wife and I had just uh, came back from a trip to Africa uh, attending a, a missions conference, well, more than a missions conference, it was a, an, a special event uh, where all of the leaders from West Africa were coming together. Uh, it was also coupled with a uh, AWF, Alliance World Fellowship meeting, uh, where we also met with leaders uh, in the area of missions, talking about how we could partnership together. And uh, one man stood up and represented the, the, the country of Sierra Leone. Now, the Alliance has not been in Sierra Leone for oh, probably 100 years or more. Um, but he got up and was uh, uh, just giving a report. Uh, this is a church that had come into the, uh, the Alliance just recently, so it's a new church to the Alliance. But uh, you may not know, but uh, for, uh, in the early years of the Christian Missionary Alliance, that's where we sent our first missionaries. Uh, that was their first introduction uh, to Africa. And uh, the conditions were so bad that in the first 14 years, 28 um, missionaries, uh, international workers, as we call them today, uh, uh, went into eternity, uh, mostly from malaria. Uh, it was known as the white man's grave, graveyard. And the pastor from Sierra Leone mentioned uh, that he had heard about this and uh, so went to this area where uh, our uh, international workers had come in. 
and, uh, and settled first before going to other places around West Africa. And uh, going to the local graveyard and actually discovering these gravestones that uh, were where our, our uh, former uh, colleagues were uh, buried. And uh, it was interesting that later on I, I, went, I decided to do a little bit more research and uh, discovered a, a letter written back in 1894 by a Reverend Roy Cotting, who was one of the original members of the first group that went into Sierra Leone, who had to return to the United States with his wife, who was at that time dying of malaria. And after her death, he decided to return himself back to the field. But before he returned, he penned this letter to the Alliance Life. And he wrote these words. He said, nine of us went there four and a half years ago, and we buried five of our number within the first year. Since then, we have buried three more on the field, and my dear wife in this country from the effects of this deadly malaria. I praise God for the way he led me to choose that field. He put the foreign work upon my heart, then led me to choose the Sudan because of its unparalleled need and dangers. I had little expectation of living out the first year. Why I did when five of my companions fell, God alone knows. It seems to me that theirs is the more blessed part to depart and be with Christ. But while he has worked for me, I want to be patient and labor on. My dear friends, if God offers you a hard place, get right into it. There is nothing on earth that can give us as rich and deep a joy as fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. And that's going to be our focus this morning. We'll talk about the hard place. The hard place. This is the new theme for the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, in missions. The hard place. Going to the hard place. And, um, you know, I could spend hours this morning telling you stories going back to the early alliance. Uh, uh, my own parents who labored for 37 years in the country of Cote d'Ivoire, going into villages that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, confrontations with the witch doctors, and, and my own in-laws uh, who labored 40 years, the Scaros, uh, in Peru, uh, and our own ministry in the, the in, in Guinea, Africa, a country that was at that time considered by the United Nations the most undeveloped country uh, in Africa. And then, of course, our transition to South America, uh, our work there over the last about 20 years. And speaking about gravestones, uh, if one were to travel to Cairo, Egypt, uh, and happen to be walking in a certain cemetery, you might find the name William Borden on one of those gravestones, tombstones. Uh, Borden is a, might be a familiar name to you. If you go into a grocery store, you might find Borden on a, a cheese or a milk product. Um, he was born in a rich, very rich family. In fact, back in the latter end of the 19th century, uh, he came to faith at a young age, and I, I wish I had time to really t tell his story, but we're just going to breeze through that. He came to, age at a, uh, came, came to faith in Christ at a very young age, and uh, he well, at, at one time attended a missionary conference by the famous Samuel Zwemer, uh, who was an uh, uh, international worker to the uh, Muslim peoples. And uh, he heard for the first time about, about 15,000 
Chinese Muslims who never had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, had never received a missionary. And so God had put upon him a burden to go minister to these 15,000 Chinese Muslims. So he went on to Yale uh, to prepare for service. And uh, then after he later graduating from Yale, uh, in preparation to go, he decided to go, first of all, to Cairo, Egypt, uh, first to learn Arabic, uh, and then on to China. But three months after his arrival, he contracted spinal meningitis and died uh, before ever reaching his desired field. Later, when they found his diary, they went through that, and, that, uh, and they discovered that at one point where he had made a decision to forsake a comfortable, wealthy lifestyle, a lifestyle of ease in the United States, he had written no reserves. And after graduating from Yale, uh, with the many offers that were uh, given to him, he wrote, no retreat. Then shortly before he died, he penned these words, no regrets. No reserves, no retreat, no regrets. And to me, that speaks of commitment and, and sacrifice and purpose and not necessarily in that order. In fact, when you think about it, all three of these are interdependent. Can't have one without the other. We often think of the hard places in terms of a geographical location like, like Africa or Indonesia or, or Asia or someplace far away. But allow me to dispel a myth any place on earth can be an easier or hard place depending on your level of engagement. Now it's easy to go down the trail this morning of inspiring you with a whole bunch of stories of sacrifice and hardship and there are plenty of those. But I feel led to instead to challenge us this morning in the area of kingdom engagement. Uh, I think if you were to ask anyone, including myself, in this room, uh, we would have to admit that our level of engagement is just not really up to snuff. I, I wish I was doing more. I think that's probably the sentiment of probably most of us uh, in this room this morning. And how do we up our, our level of engagement for uh, kingdom purposes? And there are three things that I would really like to consider real quickly. Uh, first of all, accepting that the hard place is a natural place, a natural place of being for a Christ follower. Also, that we should be constantly seeking the presence of God and, and embracing the priesthood of the believer. Now, uh, I believe that the concept of, of suffering and hardship is maybe uh, an unnatural uh, concept in, uh, in North American evangelicalism as it is today. I think it has a lot to do with our comfortable lifestyle coupled with a little mix of prosperity gospel that leaves us believing in general that our country is blessed by God and filters down to us as his people, leaving little room for theology of suffering and uh, hardship. And I think about how I even pray for my children, my family every day, that God would uh, protect each one, would bless each one with good health and good jobs and, and happy relationships. And I continue to pray that way. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, and that is why it took me a little bit by surprise when I, one morning just recently I was in, in, in having my, my quiet time and I was reading in 2 Timothy. Paul was writing to Timothy. And uh, I, Paul never had a, a real family of uh, children, as we know, 
But Timothy was probably considered to him as close to him as a son as, as anyone. And he writes to Timothy, his son, and he says, Be ready to suffer with me for the proclamation of the good news. That kind of took me back a little bit. And then he said, Endure suffering with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There was no, oh, God protect you from suffering as you proclaim the gospel. But just the anticipation that this was the expected outcome. I don't want ever, ever want my children to suffer. But if I truly want my children to follow God with all their heart, and that's my prayer as well every morning, to, to serve him, there will be hardship. Our worldview needs to change. We want the power of the resurrection without the fellowship of Christ in his suffering. All through Paul's writings, his basic assumption is that being engaged in kingdom work results in hardship, maybe even death. And I'm intrigued by people's stories, uh, people who have deconstructed their faith and in the end become either atheists or agnostics. And you'll find many of these stories on YouTube. And in fact, there's a term out there that's deconversion. It's the opposite of conversion. Famous people who have, uh, for one reason or another, have decided that the Bible is not true, that their faith is in vain, and they have abandoned their faith. Uh, it's often because, for one reason or another, God has somehow disappointed them. He hasn't acted in the way that they thought that he should. My question is, what God have they been following? Jesus thought that his disciples, that his followers were to follow him in his suffering. That it was better to lose our lives than to save our lives. That to follow him was to take up his cross. William Borden wrote no reserves in his journal. He was willing to give up everything for the sake of following Christ. In one of his notebooks, he wrote these words, In every man's heart there is a throne and a cross. If Christ is on the throne, self is on the cross. If Jesus is on the throne, you will go where he wants you to go. My in-laws, as I mentioned earlier, were former missionaries with the Alliance to Peru, South America, for 40 years, uh, serving in that country. And much of the work of the Alliance in those earlier days uh, was not in the big city of Lima, Peru, but it was out in the up in the Andes Mountains and in the uh, outlying areas and some of the most difficult areas to get to. In fact, so difficult that you couldn't even take a vehicle. You had to go by mule. And so, and believe it or not, the Alliance owned mules uh, back in those days. And he told me how he, and he would go for weeks at a time on mule back up into these areas that were so difficult to get to. And he, he, he was telling me just recently, just even a couple of weeks ago, how he, they would come to a certain river and the water was going so quickly and they had to depend on those mules. If that mule misstepped by just a fraction, they could have easily uh, been washed down river and would have been lost and perished by the rushing waters. There was never an option of turning back. Uh, when you follow Christ, you embrace the hardships that come with it. So I believe we up our level of engagement by accepting being in the hard place is a natural worldview 
of a follower of Jesus. It's just natural. We should be automatically thinking this is a natural place to be. A second way to up our level, I think, of engagement is, is seeking the presence of God. Duh. You know, that's, that that's probably sounds simplistic, but it does bear mentioning. And we will find that we, when we seek his presence, presence, we don't have to go very far. He is right there. In fact, he is everywhere. That's, uh, we all, I think, understand that. Uh, I, I heard a story uh, about a, a Jewish man in, over in Europe who had uh, gone to visit his rabbi. And, uh, and so he was in his rabbi's uh, office, and he said, Rabbi, is it true that Jesus is the Messiah? And the rabbi got up from his desk and moved over to the big window overlooking the city. And uh, after looking out at the city for some time, turned and sadly said, no, uh, nothing has changed. I believe that what discourages most believers today is the seeming lack of God's activity in our daily lives. We're often like Jacob, who fleeing his brother Esau, uh, spending the night, you remember, a rock under his head, he dreams of, a, of, of angels ascending and descending on this ladder and waking up, he says, surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. I think some, so often it's because we, we don't see God's activity simply because we are not looking for it. We're not looking for it. Uh, we often describe those who do seek the presence of God as being so spiritually minded that they're of no earthly good. Actually, those who really know the heart and the mind of God, who seriously seek the presence of God, are the hardest workers uh, and get the most done. Part of the reason why is because they see God everywhere at work, and they want to be a part of what he is doing. In some of the hardest places and uh, in the hardest times, we can trust that God is there a passage of scripture comes to my mind when I think about this uh, back uh, found in uh, Exodus chapter 20 verse 20 where God has been speaking to his people from Mount Sinai and uh, they hear the thunder and they see the lightning and they're terrified and so they say to Moses you tell us what God says and then we will listen and then in verse 21 we read as the people stood in the distance Moses entered into the deep darkness where God was. It wasn't in the, in the light. He entered into the deep darkness. Think about that. When we think about darkness, that's, that is, that's a scary place to be. Uh, we can't see very clearly in, in a deep darkness. I mean, we're talking about dark. And uh, we, it's often a metaphor used for a place that, where people are lost or really hard, what we would consider a hard place to be. And God is in those deep hard, dark, hard places. Uh, much of the world that we live in today is, 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 is in the midst of suffering. There's conflict and there's a mixture of both. A billion people uh, live on less than a dollar a day. Can you imagine that? Over three billion people live in isolated areas and remote areas that are cut off from resources. Today there are over 50 countries uh, which we would call closed country, where it's not easy to get into, where the risk of persecution of uh, fellow believers is either extreme or very high. Even in the U.S., we have over 32 million people who live under the level 
of uh, live under the the poverty line and, and we have cities like Detroit and Memphis and Philadelphia uh, where they have high crime rates and all these areas is God not present yes of course he is even in those places where he seemingly has no representation he is at work in the hearts and minds of people even speaking to people through dreams and visions we've all heard stories of that haven't we uh, his desire is that his people we us stand in the gap representing him uh, I'm so thankful that this is I'm in the church that is representing rich and Elisa Brown wonderful colleagues uh, you know, if, if you were to ask me what would be the best investment that you could have for kingdom work in South America, I would without hesitation have said Rich and Elisa Brown with Inca Link. They are doing incredible work. They work the work they, they, that they do among the disenfranchised of society, not to mention giving young people the opportunity to serve in these hard places and to discern God's purpose for their lives. That is true kingdom work. It's what James, the brother of Jesus, calls true religion. A few years ago, my wife Jessie had the privilege of uh, visiting Colombia, um, uh, visiting uh, Bogota, the, one of the cities, larger cities in Colombia. Uh, this uh, this area the, in this in Bogota we have two churches that are actually sending two of our international uh, three of our international workers back to Guinea where we served for many years and uh, so you can imagine her surprise when she was visiting these churches to find that these were not the bigger churches with many resources uh, found in the nicer part of the city these were found these churches were on the outskirts of Bogota uh, in the poorest and most dangerous zones and the churches that they were uh, they built were built actually literally on rocky slopes uh, there was poverty all around them but they reached out to the refugees who had no place to go or how to support themselves they provided jobs and tutoring students and provided food services to the hungry they literally built their structures by and paying for the electric and water bills by selling soup to the community whenever the water uh, money resources were needed and uh, maintaining a rigorous outreach to the community and supporting three workers in Guinea West Africa these churches are literally impacting the world as they reach the needy in the hard places that is their own reality they are working in union with God participating what God is already doing and the workers that they are sending are implementing a repl replicating this model in the Futa Jalon of Guinea. The assumption that we take God to those hard, difficult places is false. You know, I've, I've often heard that, you know, oh, we just took God over here, or, you know, we were over in this place and suddenly God showed up. No, <laughs> that never happens because God was already there long before we ever showed up. He is already there and we become engaged. We become more engaged when we accept that being a, a Christ follower is a natural 
worldview that we should have. And also when we begin to seek the presence of God, uh, becoming attuned to the desires and will of God for his people and for all people and being present with him in the work that he is already doing. Finally, we become more engaged when we embrace the, the priesthood of believers. One of the things I love about the 19th century and missions movement, and that was back when they, what they called the holiness movement with the Methodist and uh, the Wesleyan churches. Uh, and the Alliance kind of grew up uh, within this whole holiness movement. And what I love about this century uh, was the emphasis on lay, laity, uh, and laity involvement. Leadership of the church basically was dominated by laity. Uh, and we're going, we, we find, as I, and I love church history, I teach church history and history of missions, is that when the spirit, when there is a movement of God's spirit, uh, there is no room for uh, distinction between clergy and laity, or even men and women as it relates to ministry. Many of the great evangelists, even like D.L. Moody, heard that name haven't you did you know he was never um, uh, ordained and there are many like him uh, most who were involved in the social relief work among the poor and the needy were the laity even the missions movement of the, of the 19th century were dominated and led by laity in fact there there uh, many sent were non-clergy including many women as well uh, why is that important well, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we go into the hard places and we bring people into light, that has probably never been harder than it is in our day today. In the, in, the age, in the age in which we are living. And that work is not going to be done by our pastors. It's going to be done by you. It's going to be done by the laity. It's only when God's people understand that kingdom work is for all and not clergy that the work will be done. We are, you are, God's holy priesthood. What does that even mean? Well, being a priest means that our lives are given in service to God. You don't have to quit your job to do that. Isn't that great news? A priest mediates between God and man. Let me share with you one of my favorite verses found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, where uh, Paul writes, he, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. For why? for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You know, we think that we pay our pastor to do all the, job, all the work of what we might consider ministry. It's the opposite. His work is to facilitate you, me, to go out and do the work that he, has, that he wants accomplished. Uh, in my research of church history, it's interesting that it was quite known that uh, they didn't just invite anybody into their worship services. That was special. The early church uh, met together for encouragement, for understanding the word of God, 
and growing in their discipleship. And then they went out, and out those doors was their mission field. And it was in that, through not the, the evangelists, it wasn't through the great public speakers, it wasn't through uh, the great uh, pastors, it was through laity. It was through uh, people, normal people like you and me, in and through their work and in the relationships that the church was literally planted in every corner of the Roman Empire by the end of the third century. You know, I, I am so glad to and thankful today for a renewed call to take for professionals to take the gospel to the unreached peoples. And, uh, and in the Alliance, we have that great opportunity. And as I work among missionary candidates uh, from South America, all, I am impressed by the growing number of leaders, uh, past, uh, those who we are sending, who are not pastors necessarily. They are professionals. They're, they're, uh, they're doctors. They're dentists. Uh, they're engineers. Uh, and as a missional people, as a royal people, uh, priesthood. How then are we then to live? We should be living every day, 24-7, uh, living our lives out in service to God. We don't turn it on and off but because we happen to be uh, in the church or doing part of a, 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 of a ministry, official ministry out of the church. God has called us not to just occupy space until he returns, but, or calls us home, but to join him in his work around the world. Not just to join him, but to represent him being filled with his spirit. You know, Apostle John uh, tells us that in 1 John 4, 17, in this world, we are like him. Now, people can't see Jesus in the flesh, but they can see us, can't they? We are like little windows, open doors, to Jesus Christ. We are his image bearers. Now there's often a disconnect between what happens in church and what happens outside of church. We are to be fully present 100% in the communities and our communities and around the world. The gospel needs to be shared by demonstrating what I believe are the kingdom values through the life, our lives. What are those kingdom values? interesting. Uh, oftentimes we call the, the kingdom values or what Jesus taught were the values of the kingdom that he taught or preached uh, as an upside down uh, kingdom. We are actually part of an upside down kingdom, completely different from the kingdoms of this world. How can you say that? Well, you know, look what he taught. You receive by giving. You're exalted when you are humble. We, we, serve by, uh, we, we rule by serving. We love our enemies. We do good to those who hate us. We die in order to live. We lose life in order to find it. The last will be first. We're blessed by being poor in spirit, mourners, meek and merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. One enters the kingdom through the narrow gate, not the broad gate. One prays and fasts and gives secretly instead of in the open in order to be rewarded by God. We don't, aren't supposed to worry about life or food or clothes. Uh, we're not supposed to judge others. We're supposed to love God and our neighbors. Our words, our thoughts, our value systems, our perspective on money, everything needs to be different. Our lifestyle, how we relate to others. Now, most people I find who reject, 
who reject God today are not doing it, aren't rejecting God simply because they reject God outright. But it's often a rejection of God's people. The charges of hypocrisy is often an indication that a person has in some one way or another been wounded by someone claiming to be a follower of Christ. So the question I have to ask myself is what kind of Jesus am I? I would say that living out the principles of the gospel that Jesus taught, that is probably the hardest thing for me to do. Why? Because it goes against my culture. It goes against my instinct, my human nature, maybe even my politics. When I reflect on this life that Jesus calls us to, to the level of personal involvement that is required of me, the question I ask is, is it worth it? It was interesting, the video, the first video that we saw of uh, the missionary from Columbia. And at the very end, he talks about some of the hardships, but he says, it was worth it. It was worth it. Everything was worth it. I remember when we first uh, went to Guinea, we heard the story of Harry Watkins, a uh, missionary who had served uh, among a people group there for for many years, about 30 years, with hardly any results. And we, none of us wanted to leave Guinea, Harry Watkins. <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the things that was interesting about him is that uh, he would, one of the things he would do was gather children around, give them candy, and tell them stories of Jesus. And so when the church began to grow, some were, become, were, were converting within this one people group. Uh, it was interesting that as we began talking with the different ones, that they were in one way or another in, uh, influenced by Harry Watkins. They had been one of those children who had gathered at his feet and heard these stories of Jesus. Reverend Cotting, the missionary who went back to Sierra Leone after his wife died of malaria, wrote, but while he has worked for me, I want to be patient and labor on. My dear friends, if God offers you a hard place, get right into it. There is nothing on earth that can be, give as rich and deep a joy as fellowship with Christ and his sufferings. William Borden, yeah, I think he would have said, yeah, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. William Borden, on his deathbed, never having reached, reached his place of ministry among the Chinese Muslim, wrote, no regrets. On his tombstone, you'll also find these words, apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. To some, or to many, I should say, his, wife seemed, his life seemed like a, a waste. Um, one missionary, though, wrote concerning this um, at that time. He said, a life abandoned to Christ cannot be cut short. Cut short means not complete, interrupted. And we know that our master does no halfway jobs. Although he never made it to China, he influenced his generation and future generations uh, to serve the cause of Christ. I can assure you that the same spirit that drove the early Alliance missionaries to the hardest places in the world still exists today. And uh, the ones that we are sending from South America uh, are serving in some of the hardest places. That's where they want to go. <laughs> they don't want to go to the U.S. They want to go to Uzbekistan. They want to go to all the hardest places 
uh, around the world. A true follower of Christ accepts that being in the hard place is a natural state of being. And when we, seek, uh, when we earnestly seek his presence, we will find him already there, already at work. We want to join him in that work. So let's do that, wherever that might, might be. Become engaged because he is already engaged. And as his royal priests, we become his hands and his feet. Let me be clear, the hard places are not always those foreign places. It's often easier to take the gospel to other places, in fact, to other people, uh, other cultures. But sometimes the hardest ones to reach are the ones closest to us, our family, our uh, close, uh, uh, close colleagues at work, uh, friends. Maybe God has given you a vision or calling for doing something right now. You know, I want to remind you of Nehemiah. Remember that story? He's a cupbearer for the king of Persia. But uh, on one occasion, he heard about the wall of Jerusalem having been torn down and never being rebuilt. And God put uh, something on him, a desire to go and do something about that. Now, he didn't have to do anything about it. But uh, he, it finally, but he, I don't think he even knew anything about construction. But God had put a desire on his heart. And so with the king's blessing, he went back to Israel, to Jerusalem, and completed a work that was in that day considered one of the greatest wonders of the ancient world. Maybe God has put something on your heart to do something local. Maybe it's, it's something that might take you outside of your comfort zone, maybe even to another country. I heard one pastor say this, and I love it. He said, don't let your start be the thing that keeps you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Let me repeat that. Don't let your start be the thing that keeps you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. What is that start? Sometimes it's hard to take that first start, uh, step. In Nehemiah, we read, God delights in small beginnings. God delights in small beginnings. And uh, let's take that small step. God puts something in your heart. Take it from the Lord. Step out. And uh, I, maybe that can be the word of God to you today. And let me just finish with these words again from Dr. Coddington. Reverend Coddington, uh, going back to Sierra Leone, he said, my dear friends, if God offers you a hard place, if God offers you a hard place, get right into it. Let's do it. Let's work together. Father, we thank you so much for this church. We thank you for this community where they are planted. We thank you for the people all around them and the work that they represent. Father, we just thank you for each one here who perhaps in one way or another have been engaged. And Lord, help us to do more. There's so much more to be done, not just here, but around the world. And Lord, we want to be your hands. We want to be your feet. We want to be your mouthpieces. And I just ask, Lord, that you will use each and every one of us. For we are all called. We're all called to be your priest, your holy priest, representing the world to you and you to the world. And so, Lord, help us to put that desire, put a, 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 a vision upon our hearts, each one of us, to serve you 
and no matter where it might be, be at the hard places, that we might be fully engaged in uh, where it is that you would have us to be, to be your hands and feet, Lord, uh, to work alongside you in the work that you are right now accomplishing. So now, Father, send us out to do the work that you have called us out to do, to serve you as faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ, to him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. <laughs>